that we left off last week where Philip the Evangelist had went out into Samaria and had a big revival in this city in Samaria. The Samaritans were saved. They received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they were baptized into the church. And this was all witnessed by two apostles from Jerusalem and by many Jews. So the church has spread to include the Samaritans um, who were Jews considered to be half-breed dogs. But it was witnessed that they that God has included them in the family, that he will be their God and they will, and they will be his people in the covenant, just like, just like the Jews are. Okay? So we'll pick up. <clears throat> well, let's see. The, we'll start at 25. We'll just read through this section first, through the whole event, and then we'll go back and look at some things that we can notice here. So what we've got into here, this little section that begins here, chapter 8, what I'm calling is God's grace for every race. So in these three chapters, we're going to see three different peoples be brought into the covenant. <clears throat> we already have the Jews right in Jerusalem. The church is growing by leaps and bounds. There was 120 or 125. Then they grew to 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. Then it grew to 5,000 men and women, 10,000. So there's lots of Jewish believers now. But these next three chapters is when we see the church go out first to the Samaritans in chapter 8, what we saw last week. Then today to this one lone Ethiopian on his way back home. He's going to be given the gospel. He's going to believe. And he's going to bring the gospel back to Africa. And then in 9, we'll see this super conservative uh, Pharisee who trained under Gamaliel will come to, to belief, come to faith in Christ. And then in chapter 10, we will see a Roman centurion and his whole household will come to Christ, Gentiles. So that's kind of what's going on in these next few chapters. It's God's grace for every race. So let's start in 25 and read through here. It says, so, so when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem. That's Peter and John. And they had come and to see the outbreak of uh, revival here in Samaria. So they came, laid hands on these people. If the Holy Spirit came, now they're going to head back. They started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. That's important. You know, they, they saw what happened. They saw the Samaritans are included in the covenant. So they began preaching to the Samaritans all the way back to Jerusalem. <clears throat> but an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you are reading? 
He said, well, how could I unless someone guides me or unless someone teaches me? I think some translations say. And, <clears throat> excuse me. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. <laughs> he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation, for his life is removed from the earth? The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? My Bible has this. And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. End of parentheses. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. All right. So, you know, they call Philip the Evangelist. That's his name, Philip the Evangelist. Because, you know, this whole sect, this whole chapter is just about Philip bringing, spreading the gospel, evangelizing unbelievers. <clears throat> so, Philip's a really good, you know, model for us for evangelism. Because we see Philip in this beginning of chapter 8 in this corporate setting. He's preaching to crowds and large numbers of people and many people are being saved kind of like a what they call it when a crusade. It's like a crusade going on in this Sumerian city. But then the Lord tells, he tells him to leave this big thing he's got going on and go to this desert place and meet this one person or this one what we call personal evangelism. So we go from mass evangelism to personal evangelism. Philip's doing both of those. So this is a great opportunity for us to talk about evangelism <clears throat> on a personal level, how we can speak to our family and our friends and our coworkers or whoever the Lord would lead us to speak to and who he's prepared to hear the word of Christ. So... That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to have a little evangelism training as we go through this section. <coughs> Excuse me. So, so, we're going to talk about some points. We're going to go through one, two, three, four, five, six, seven kind of points in evangelism, in our personal evangelism. So point one would be to listen for God's speaking. And we see God speaking to Philip in a couple of different ways here. And what we want to notice is that Philip is in touch with the Spirit and he listens and he obeys. That he's obedient to, to the leading of the Spirit 
to the direction of the angel. However, it comes to Philip, he's ready to obey. He's willing to obey. He's ready. He wants to spread Christ. I think we talked about that last week, how Philip was such an effective evangelist because his love for Christ, his love for people, he wanted everybody to know. So number one would be listen for God speaking. We see that in verse 26. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then again, In verse 29, then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip, both times he obeys immediately. He hears the, I mean, he hears the audible voice of an angel first, and then he hears this leading of the spirit, and he instantly is in touch with that, okay? So how does God speak to us today? How would God speak to us today about who to evangelize. So he speaks to us most, our most, um, what's the word? Our most reliable source would be through the scriptures, through the Holy Scriptures. God speaks to us today through his word. And that's our most reliable source of communication from God. He also can speak to us through the leading of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> I firmly believe that, that that is true. I don't believe that the Spirit, and even in here, I don't think the Spirit visibly or audibly spoke to Philip and said, go join that chariot. He he just Philip felt the leading, the urging of the Spirit. That's why you were sitting here. That's the man you're here to see. Go talk to him. Even, let me just read this real quick. So we see, it says, Philip had enough spiritual understanding not to resist the unfolding guidance of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit first directed Philip through persecution to leave his ministry in Jerusalem and go to Samaria for a much wider ministry. So we're going to talk about that too, circumstances. It can also be led through circumstances. But... Uh, Philip knew by experience that God directs by difficulties, but he did not believe that that is the only way God leads. Next, Philip was led by an angel. As Philip was busy ministering in Samaria, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. <clears throat> Hebrews 1.14 tells us that angels are ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Um, the point is, God guided Philip in a new way, and Philip was enough in touch to respond. As we read on, we see Philip continued openness to the Spirit's unique direction. It says, Philip obeyed, here's what his, this is what this comment says, this is his quote, Philip obeyed the subjective inner voice of the Holy Spirit. There in that verse 29. And that's what I believe that is. That's just, that's just subjective inner voice of spirit leading Philip to say, this is why you were sent here by this angel. Go talk to this man. So our most valuable or reliable source of hearing the voice of God speaking to us is through the Holy Scriptures. 
Our second most reliable is through the leading of the Holy Spirit. Number three is through prayer. And let me just say this. I know me personally, I very rarely just get still for a long period of time and pray and just be silent and be quiet and be still. I mean, that's what prayer, you know, my normal prayer in the morning is I'll get up, get my coffee, get dressed, get my coffee ready, and I'll just sit down and, and say a quick prayer. Thank God for the blessing of the day, for, for rest and safety, and and ask for his blessing on the day and to help me walk and hold us that day, and then I'm on to the rest of my day. Um, very rarely do I just sit in quiet and in silence, pray and listen for the leading of the Spirit, whatever God might have for me that day. That's really not listening for God to speak to me. Okay? I need to fix that. And number four, the way God speaks to us, these are in descending order of reliability. Okay? Just kind of how these are ordered. Number four would be through the church. <clears throat> that's through, you know, we've, we've, that's through the... Uh, the counsel and advice of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we have an issue, we have a problem, we have a question, my first instinct is to call an elder or Kevin or a brother or somebody, you know, Brock or whoever, somebody, I need to talk to somebody. That's who I'm going to call. I'm going to call somebody from this body. If I need help, if I just need to talk about something or whatever it may be. Okay. Um, there's a man who is very well known. I think his name is Truett. He was a preacher of the first, some big church in Dallas for a long time. But anyway, the seminary at Baylor University is named after this man. I think his name is Truett. But he was not even a preacher. He had no desire to be a preacher. He was a principal at an elementary school. But he was very active in the church. He was very... You know, full of spirit, full of wisdom. In this church, I think it was in Tyler, or no, it wasn't Tyler, near Tyler, they lost their pastor mm -hmm. just through a sequence of events. I don't know why the man left. He retired. He felt led to go to the church. Whatever the case may be, this church found themselves without a pastor. And so the elders got together, and they went to this elementary school principal and said, Preacher, uh, Mr. Truett, we believe you you need to be the preacher of our church. We would like you to be our preacher. And this guy was just, he said, we, we think you can be our preacher. We think you should be our preacher. So he said, okay, if you think I should, well, then, then I will. And he left his job as an elementary school principal and went and became, started preaching at this little church in this little town in Texas. And he ended up having seminary at Baylor University named after him. So that was God speaking to this man through this church. Okay? And then number five, and I would say the least reliable way is through circumstances. We've got to be real careful to be looking for God speaking to us through circumstances because that's very subjective. Okay? So we're moving from objective, which is the word, 
the written word, God's word, subjective truth. We can be sure of it. And when you get down to number five to circumstances in your life, that's very subjective. But it's still, I mean, we see Philip left Jerusalem and went to Samaria for this huge crusade, not by his choice, but through persecution of the church. He was moved through circumstances from one location to another. Okay. So that's our five ways that God speaks to us today. Through the scriptures, through the Holy Spirit, through prayer time, through our church body, and then sometimes through life's circumstances. It seems like if you are seeking the Lord through those other things regularly and consistently and learning how to follow him in that manner, it seems like you would be able to recognize the circumstances much better. Yep. That's true. That's why I'm, li- li- I'm ordering these in order of reliability. We want to seek his face in the scriptures. We, we need to be in there every day. We need to be in this book. We need to be studying. We need to be reading. We need to be praying. You, know? you can't start with circumstances. Yeah. No, well, you don't want to. you got to start at the top and become aware and educated properly. Yeah. That's correct. You don't want God to have to resort to circumstances to get your attention. It's probably not where you want to be in your walk with Christ, right? So that's number one. We need to be listening for God speaking. We see Philip responding to God's leading here all through this and immediately being obedient. Obedience is paramount to our walk. I mean, if we're being obedient to the Word, and the leading and the direction of the Spirit, most likely we're going to be in a good place in our walk with Christ. I mean, God desires obedience over sacrifice. I mean, obedience is... Connected to love. Yeah. If we're not being obedient, then we're not... We're just not... We're not doing it right. Was it uh, Saul? King Saul? Help Help me remember this. When he was... Going to battle against the Amalekites, I believe it was. And God spoke to him, to the prophet, and said, I want you to go in there and kill every one of them. Don't leave it, nothing alive. Kill their livestock, every soldier, every every animal. Don't, don't leave anything. And so Saul took his men down there, and he wiped them out. Just what God said. But he didn't kill the king. He said, man, I might be in this situation one day. So I'm gonna I'm gonna show mercy. Maybe one day mercy will be shown me if this ever happens to me. So he let the king live. Then he looked around at all these cows, oxen, and goats, and sheep, and said, Man, what can we do with all that? It'd be sure would be a shame to kill all these livestock. I think we'll just keep these livestock. So he obeyed. 90% of the way. He, he won the battle, destroyed the soldiers, but, but he didn't finish. He didn't complete. He was not obedient. And so the prophet, Samuel, right? So Samuel comes to him and says, Hey, man, you've disobeyed the Lord. He says, What do you mean? I disobeyed. We won the battle. All the soldiers are dead. I did just what the Lord said. And then in the background, it's the sheep starts bleeding. Man. And the prophet says, what does that mean? 
that means you were disobedient to the Lord. And, you know, from that day forward, God removed his spirit from Saul and, and turned his attention to, to the little shepherd boy named David. Because, I mean, he, did, he was obedient 90% of the way, but he, he wasn't obedient all the way. And God removed his spirit from him. So we see Philip here being totally obedient, totally open to God's leading, and doing exactly what God wanted him to do. You know, remember, Philip's just, he's just a layman. He's just a guy they picked to, to tend to the widows. You know, he's not an apostle or anything like that. Now, obviously, he's been given great power during this, this, this spectacular time in history. He's just a guy doing what God told him to do. He's full, of, but he's full of the Spirit. We saw that when they first picked him to be a deacon. He was full of the Spirit. He's full of wisdom. He's full of grace, just like Stephen was. It's interesting, too, that the Saul's reasoning, which you were talking about earlier, for sparing the best of the oxen. And oxen. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was, I would have sacrificed them. Yeah, he's going to offer them to the Lord. Yeah, you know, that's right. That's, the best of them. Yeah. So his reasoning, he was giving himself a noble excuse. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to take the one thing God hated and told him to destroy, and he's going to offer that as a sacrifice. Yeah, he was really mis misapplying. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, that's a very important point. Yeah, he, yeah. he when, when when the prophet called him out on it, he said, oh, I'll save them for sacrifice. Like, what are you talking about? God told you to destroy those. You're going to offer him in sacrifice what he told you to destroy? And Samuel would just like, stop. <laughs> stop. <laughs> just stop. Yeah, just stop. Yeah, so anyway, so obedience, man, that's a, that's a huge thing that we see all through Acts, people being obedient to the Lord, to the leading of the Spirit, to the angels doing exactly what they're told, when they're told, how they're told, without question. They don't they don't jee-haw around. You know? So anyway, that's extra. <clears throat> and that was in First uh, Samuel 15 yeah. So our second point Is uh, we need to be looking for divine appointments We see that in verse 27 Let's see, verse 27 it says, so, he, so he got up and went And there was an Ethiopian eunuch A court official of Candace Queen of the Ethiopians Who was in charge of all her treasure And he had come to Jerusalem to worship so a few things to say about this. Let's talk about this unit. So, Irenaeus, one of the early fathers, he said that this man, this eunuch, became the first missionary to Africa. And church tradition says that um, he went back after this meeting with Philip. He shared the gospel with Candace and um, all her royal household. And that by the time missionaries arrived, like a generation later, there was already a strong group of believers in Ethiopia, all because of this, this, this divine appointment that Philip was open to here. <clears throat> so that's cool. Um, What else I got on him? Oh, and there's there's some question about this guy. Was he really an was he an actual eunuch? Was he just a because some eunuchs I mean eunuch could mean a couple of things. Eunuch could mean you were emasculated, <coughs> but it could also mean you were just a high court official. 
Those were also called demons. And according to Deuteronomy, a, a man who's been emasculated is not allowed to enter the congregation of the righteous. Or what does it say? You know? I don't remember that. A man who's been emasculated may not enter the may not enter the congregation. He couldn't, he couldn't enter the temple. That's exactly what it says. Yeah. If he was an actual physical eunuch, then he was not allowed access to the temple. So would that mean? So we would assume this guy's a proselyte because he traveled all the way to Jerusalem from Ethiopia to worship. Okay. And he also is in possession of a scroll of Isaiah. So those things were not easy to come by. They were not cheap. You know, they didn't have printing presses. Those things are all handwritten. Now, to me, that can be explained by his high-standing position as a high official in the court of Candace. And, you know, the Sadducees, I could easily see a Sadducee giving him this, this scroll just because he wanted to get in good with this official, you know, bowing and scraping before this guy. Oh, yeah, I got this, pro I got this scroll. It's, let me give this to you as a gift. You know, just trying to gain favor with this guy. We don't know. It doesn't say, but there's some question as to whether this guy was a full proselyte or just not. He was just seeking because, you know, the one thing that we know that Judaism was different from all other religions was one God. So this guy would have come from Ethiopia where there were many gods, but he, yet he was he was in Jerusalem to worship the one true God. Now, none of this is really, I mean, it doesn't bear on the story. It's just things people discuss. You know, Could this guy have went in the temple if he was a true eunuch? No. Because the law says no. Uh, a man who's been matched he cannot enter the temple. So maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. Maybe he was a full proselyte. Maybe he was just a, he, he, he had been circumcised. Okay, if he was a eunuch, can't be circumcised. So you can't, if you're not circumcised, you can't be a full proselyte. But somehow, some way, this man had a copy of the scroll of Isaiah. But uh, anyway, that's enough about the eunuch. He was a man from Africa. He took the gospel back to Africa because of this meeting. That's what. That's the main. That's the main point here. I do like the verse 39 where it, it says, you know, after. Philip was carried away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. Mm -hmm. Well, if Philip was gone, how did anybody know he was rejoicing? Could it have been that, you know, he came back again to Jerusalem, or people went down to that area as they knew he he had been given the word. Yeah, that's a good question. How did Luke know he went on his way rejoicing? I mean, the Spirit would know, but Luke obviously wasn't there. Philip was raptured away, so nobody actually witnessed what happened. But the Spirit tells us he went on his way rejoicing. And that's a good point to notice what happened in Samaria. Whenever Philip arrives and he gives the word, what happens? All of, all of the whole city is rejoicing. When Philip brings the word to this Ethiopian, he, he believes, what happens? He goes on his way rejoicing. So that's a good thing to notice. And here's one more thing about this looking for divine appointments. And it goes back to circumstances. You know, what are we doing in our day-to-day -day life? 
So here's a little illustration. Remember back in the old days when cars didn't have power steering? You know, the power was your arm. And if a, if a car was sitting still, well, okay. So some of us remember that. Back in the old days, there was no power steering on a car. And if a car was sitting still, you know, nowadays you just do this, turn the wheel all the way left. Back then you couldn't do that. But if the car, if you got somebody on the back to push, then the car got easier to steer. So kind of like a lawnmower today or a golf cart is a good example. My sister's power steering went out one day. <clears throat> Quite surprised. <laughs> so that that little illustration can apply to our our walk. If we're moving forward and we're studying the scriptures and we're spending our time in prayer and we're open to the leading of the Spirit and we're moving in our walk, it's a lot easier for the Lord to steer us where He where He needs us to go. But if we're just sitting still waiting, okay, Lord, show, show, show me what to show me what to. Well, you might not like how he gets you moving, right? Um, so that's just, it's a lot easier to steer us when we're already moving, if we're moving forward in our wall. It's a lot easier for the Lord to steer us to the people he needs us to talk to, and we'll be much more open to that. For these little opportunities, that, I mean, I've missed opportunities, and I've, I have kicked myself afterwards, and I'd be thinking back on that encounter or whatever we'd be, and think, oh, man, I should have said this. That was a perfect opportunity, perfect opening to bring up something, right? Bring up whatever it may be. Like right now, with all this mess going on in the Middle East, I, I promise you people are thinking about end time and prophecy and all that stuff. Me and my boss just had a conversation on the way home from work Friday about it. I read him Isaiah 65. We, we're, we got talking about the end and the millennial kingdom. He had all kinds of questions. But it was a good opportunity, but we got to be open to that. We got to be looking for these divine appointments. You never know when you're going to sit down and next to somebody on an airplane or whatever, and, and there might be a perfect opportunity to bring up, hey, you know what, what you're looking at there. So we need to be looking for that. So we need to be listening for God speaking, and we need to be open to His divine appointments. Number three is we need to ask leading questions. We see that in verse 30. So Philip's going along here. Where am I at? Chapter 7. That's wrong. What did I say it was? Verse 30. Leading questions. So Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you're reading? That was a great question. So, <clears throat> there's a little acrostic that we can use for these questions. It's a good little way to remember. It's called FIRE, F-I-R-E. So, the F would be family. Ask about their family. I would be interests. Ask about their interests. Maybe you meet somebody on the golf course. You, know, you get paired with somebody at the first, first tee box, a single. And you got three people. And you end up riding in the car with this person. You know, ask about their family. You already know they're interested in golf. So there's a good opening to, to talk to them. Or is their religious background? What kind of church have they attended? Do they attend church? What kind of tradition are they coming out of? Or what kind of tradition are they in? And E is 
exploratory questions. A good example of the exploratory questions would be something like, who do you think Jesus is? What's your favorite verse of scripture? Um, do you attend church at all? If so, what kind of church is it? What kind of tradition is it? Yeah, how to learn is not always best to start with yeah. <laughs> And <clears throat> here's like a good question. In your personal opinion, here's what you ask the person. In your personal opinion, how does someone enter the kingdom or go to heaven? What is your opinion on that? What do you think someone has to do to go to heaven? And you're going to get, you know, some different responses to that. But that, that's a very good question. You can get right to the heart of the matter by finding out how somebody believes salvation is obtained or if there is such a thing as salvation. A lot of people don't even believe in that. They say there is no heaven. But those are some good questions to ask. <clears throat> and questions are always good because when you just come into somebody and you start preaching out and telling them this is how this is the truth, they will shut down. People don't like to be lectured to, you know, talked down to, and that's what kind of what a lot of people see that as. Oh, you just you, so you think you got it. So, but questions I give an opportunity for them to be part of the conversation. Can't overwhelm them though. You have to be careful. Yeah, when this takes takes a little practice, but it's it's easy. I mean, we're going to get on some more of this, but just just so be looking, be listening for the voice, be looking for these divine appointments when you. When you see an opportunity, and know this, if, if there's an opportunity arises itself, and you're and you're sitting talking to somebody about the Lord, God has arranged that. That is a divine appointment. And then number four is listen carefully to their answers and respond accordingly. Okay. Be have a conversation, and we are so bad about interrupting each other when we're having we, we, we all are horrible at conversations we, we, we've lost the art of conversation i know me and heather talk over each other constantly we interrupt each other i can't finish a sentence without her interrupting me and she can't finish a sentence without me interrupting her because we want to we think we got you know what i mean i'm just we cannot do that when we're talking to somebody about these these important things we have to let them be part of the conversation but we have to get the gospel out to them in a cohesive, cogent, understandable manner. Okay. But listen to their, ask them the questions and then listen to their answer. Don't just ask them a question and when they start replying, interrupt them. Oh, let me, let me tell you no, about this. No, no. Don't do that. <laughs> That's wrong. Yeah. Don't, yeah. Don't, definitely don't do that. So we see that in, uh, Verse 34 and 35. <clears throat> okay. There's a so guy let's on YouTube that uh, does videos witnessing to people. Ray Comfort. Living Water. Yeah, he's really, if you want to see a good way to evangelize, that's one way. It's a good way. Watch Living Water's videos and yeah. see how he does it. So Philip asked him this leading question Do you understand what you're reading? And then the eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth 
And beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Okay? So he asked, he asked, he, he responded. He said, how can I understand if no one teaches me? So beginning from that scripture, he, he preached Christ to him. And he started where the guy was at. Yes. Like he didn't have, like, oh, well, here's this, this, this is the ABC I'm going to present this to you. Like he started where the man was yep. at. He used that opportunity. The man was reading. He asked the question, do you understand what you're reading? How can I if someone teaches me? Would you tell me about it? So Philip got up and started starting from that scripture. So he listened to his answer and he acted accordingly. And uh, we're, you're going to usually get four responses when you ask these questions, these leading questions. You're either going to get a faith response, which somebody says, oh, yeah, I believe. I go to so-and-so church over there. I sing on the worship team. I teach Sunday school. Okay, great. You found a brother or a sister. <clears throat> That don't mean you stop coming. <laughs> I've had people tell me that before, but when you get to nailing it down, what do you believe? What is the way to happen that you're trusting you? There's that question. That's what I was going to say. That don't mean you stop the conversation. Now you can really talk to the person. Oh, really? Oh, well, you know, what faith are you? A lot of people think they know the way, but they really don't. What's your church tradition? How do y'all view whatever? soteriology how do y'all view um baptism you know there's all kind of places you can go there i mean you've possibly found a brother or a sister so man what a blessing you can just talk to them about jesus about all kind of spiritual things you can have a fulfilling and edifying spiritual conversation or you may find out oh these are uh Jehovah's witnesses it's, you know you might you might be sent by Jehovah's witness you don't know but but that's going to be one response you, you might get a faith response. Yes, I, I believe. I believe Jesus is the Messiah. You don't know. Number two, you might get a works response. Oh, you know, this is what most people believe. Well, I get to heaven by being good. I have to be good while I'm here. And then whenever I go to, whenever I die, God's a loving God. He wouldn't send me to hell. I mean, I've never killed nobody. You know, I don't steal. I don't lie. I'm a good person. So that's going to be, then you're going to address them from that perspective. Oh, wait a minute. Let me tell you, let me tell you what my faith believes about salvation. It's not my works. We can't work our way, okay? So the third one is going to be a clueless response. You know, what are you talking about? Because some people don't know what we're, what we're talking about. They've never, they just don't know. They didn't come up in a household to talk about these things. Secular. You know, they're a secular person. They don't know about things and spiritual things. Well, they say, I'm not religious. Say, no. You sure about that? <laughs> you sure? Where's your, where's your family? And then the fourth response, and, and, and most people's experience, I mean, I've, I've listened to several people talk about this this week. This hostile response is, you will get them, but very rarely. Most people... Are just not just rude to strangers. So you may get a hostile answer. You may get a hostile response. Most likely you won't. You're going to get one of these other three. A faith response, a work response, or a clueless response. That's where most people are. Some people are hostile to, to the gospel. They don't, you know, if they've been, if they've been listening to these atheist guys on YouTube who, who misuse the scriptures and twist the scriptures to say, man, God is, 
you know, he's all about slavery and all this stuff. I got a good friend of mine I grew up with. Last time we talked, it broke my heart. He'd been listening to these guys on YouTube. He had all these arguments for me. So I can tell you that Gary Parker, if you if you want some practice, a good way that I've seen is is and, and it can get messy, but you go down into some of the comments on some of the uh, YouTube videos, and you'll see some different perspectives, and then you can engage without directly confronting somebody with a different belief, and then you usually you can, get a hostile response. You, <laughs> sometimes, but what you can do is you can present some of that, but it's you're going to help not only the person that you're directly communicating with on these comments, but also other people are going to see these comments. So I addressed one that was complete atheist uh, that laid down a whole bunch of garbage. And it was a big, long uh, comment. Well, I ended up responding back to this, not necessarily because I don't think I'm going to get through to the person that wrote it, but anybody else, if, if I left it un, unanswered biblically, going through there, anybody else could get maybe to question their, their faith, their new Christian or whatever. Those, uh, it's good practice to me because then, it, then I get back in the scripture and go through things, find things. Cause you can see a lot of their arguments. Yeah, and, 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 and you can see the arguments too. All right, so. well, we, we're, we're very long time. we got to finish this. Okay, so number five is ask permission to share Christ. That's implied in verse 31. I'm sorry, but we're, we're like 1025, and I want to finish this. So he says, Philip opened it. Wait a minute. What did I say? No, it's used scripture. The next one, number six, is used scripture. That's what we were just talking about. Oh, it's number five. Ask permission to share Christ. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. I'm... Yes. So number five is ask permission to share Christ. Okay, this is very important. And that's in, it's not specifically stated, but it is implied in verse 31, where he says, well, how would I how would I understand this unless someone guides me? And he invited him to come up and sit with him. That is him inviting him to come share this with me. Okay, but we don't want to just pin somebody down and pin them to the wall and say, "I'm going to tell you about Jesus right now, and you're going to sit here and listen to it." That's not the way to go. Ask permission. Okay. Number six is use scripture. We see that in verse 35, where he says, "Philip opened his mouth, beginning from the scripture. From this scripture, he preached Jesus to him." Okay. Four really good scriptures to use is Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, for all that fallen short of the glory of God, right? John 1.12, where it says, and all that received him, he gave, permission, he gave the ability to be the sons of God. It's not just believing in him, you have to receive him. That's a good scripture to bring somebody to. John 1.12, and of course, John 3.16. Those are four really good scriptures for evangelism. And number seven is help them follow through. We see that in verse 37. So they're going along and he says, look, there's water. Just a quick note, that little parentheses part where it says, and Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized. He answered and said, I, I believe in Jesus. That's not in early manuscripts. Okay, A lot of the earliest ones doesn't have that. But, Philip said, stop the chariot, and they got down and went to the father into the water, and he baptized him. So help them follow through, okay? 
We're not just supposed to tell people and leave them and leave them there. This thing called discipleship, right? New believers need to be discipled. They need to be taught. They need to be led. They need to be taken by the hand. And so that's the seven things. Real quick, we see that God used Philip to spread the gospel, and he can use us as well. Okay, that's the main point of this. We're just like Philip. Okay, We have the Spirit of Christ within us. We know the, the good news. We, we're thinking creatures. We should be open to all these things, to these divine appointments, and be ready to share the gospel if the opportunity arises. So the three things we see here is Philip was in touch with the Spirit. Number two, Philip was in touch with the gospel. He knew how to lead people to Christ. We have to know that. Okay, If we can't give a cogent, understandable, clear-minded description of the gospel, then shame on us as Christians. Shame on us. We should be ready to give any person, and we might not have every argument they're going to raise if we come up on one of them atheists like Paul was talking about, you know, but we should be able to give a reason for our faith, what we believe and why we believe it, that Jesus Christ, you know, was God in the flesh. He lived a sinless life. He fulfilled the law. He went to the cross, died on our behalf. He was raised three days later. And he ascended to heaven, and he's coming back one day. Okay, we should be able to articulate those points to an unbeliever. That's all we're required to do. We're not required to refute their worldview. We're not required to to, to respond to their arguments. We're required to tell them how they can be saved. It's up to God to move their heart. But we have to be able to relate that to them. And then number three, Philip was in touch with people. He knew how to talk to people. He was willing to talk to people. He loved people enough to share Christ with them. Okay, we got to stop now. We're like, they're going to be out there waiting. It's 1030.